Sherry Dunleavy, your inspirationista, host, and a grieving mom. Welcome to the Grief Anonymous podcast. Grief is a journey, and I'm 20 years into mine. No matter where you are in yours, I hope you'll join me as I provide you with information, tools, and experts to help guide you through the darkness of death into the light of living. Help is on the way. My guest today is Barry Koch, and I wanted to talk to him because we met at the National Funeral Director Association's conference a little less than a year ago and realized that we have similar backgrounds and have been called to a similar new recreation of, of what we are doing. Um, we both have television backgrounds, and now we are being called into the world of grief. And I wanted to talk to him today, not just about that world, but also because Barry recently lost his mother uh, during this COVID-19 pandemic, not due to COVID, but as a result of that, there were complications just because of all the restrictions that were put in place. So first of all, Barry, my deepest condolences uh, to you and your family on the loss of your beloved mother. She sounds like she was an absolutely amazing person. She was a good one. She was, uh, she was a heck of a good mom. She was a very quietly accomplished person. Uh, she and her brother had been a professional dance team back in the day, and she was actually a rocket in the late 1950s. And uh, she was a very, a very special woman. We're going to miss her. I'm, I'm very sorry for, for the loss. So let's, let's talk about this because, you know, we've, we've been doing work in the grief arena and, and maybe that's what we should start with is, is how were you called to this kind of work and what kind of work are you doing? So over the last year and a half and a, a little bit of background, I, uh, I worked in media for many years. I worked at CNN in the early days. I worked for a number of the Turner networks and, uh, for up the last 18 or 19 years of my uh, corporate media career, was the head of Cartoon Network in Latin America. So then I, uh, <clears throat> I migrated into the end-of-life death care space, which uh, seems perfectly logical to me, children's entertainment and death care, but yes. uh, seems to be a bit of an odd combination. Um, I guess my genesis, my personal genesis um, in this space was uh, my wife and I had a, a son born in 1996. His name was Harper. Um, he was born unexpectedly uh, with severe brain damage and was not expected to live more than a day or two, but lived for five and a half months, which was a remarkable journey for, for both my wife and I and for our families. Um, from the day Harper was born, uh, he lived with a do not resuscitate order and was under the care of Hospice Atlanta. And uh, it was a remarkable journey. And he died in February of 1997. Um, Having lost a child, you know that you're in a, uh, a fog and um, mm -hmm. things don't make sense for a while. Or uh, I saw the world as only black and white when he was alive and died. I'm, I'm a grayscale kind of guy, but I saw the world black and white. But at any rate, for the next X number of years, <clears throat> I um, would visit Hospice Atlanta on uh, around uh, Christmas time, between Christmas and New Year's. I would visit the old spaces. I would sit in a chair. Uh, in the library where he's got a little, little plaque up on the wall. I would visit with the, the nurses and the doctors and the administrators and make a donation. And then over time, I would do a little bit of volunteer work. Uh, I might speak occasionally for them. And I guess I was showing up, uh, being a nonprofit, I was showing up so often at some point, somebody said, hey, do you want to join the board of directors? 
So I did that. I was on the board for maybe five or six years uh, and have done uh, more volunteer work uh, and grief work with them as time has gone on. Um, even during my latter part of my career, I thought, I always thought I would work in the end of, uh, end of life death care space. For a while, I thought it might be in chaplaincy, but I'm, I don't think I'm that guy. I'm not religious in, the, in a way I think one needs to be. And that might be wrong on my part. Um, I'm not medical. I don't like bodily fluids a lot. Um, but at some point along the way, um, I met my partner, Jason Zamer, who has done a lot of work in uh, geriatric housing and elder care and actually uh, is the co-founder of a company that uh, marries technology to dementia care. And um, I had thrown out some ideas for ways that we think that we can help people who are navigating a death of a loved one or a friend. And we started about a year and a half ago working in earnest to develop uh, this initiative, which we are, is called TG Beyond. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's great work that you're doing. And I think that um, it's, it's amazing after we talked and we just met briefly, but I think that meeting was, was meant to happen. The, 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 the correlate, the, 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 how it's just like the parallels are just amazing. I lost my son in 1999 and we both have television backgrounds and we both feel like we were called to be in this in this space but really not clear on what that what that was going to look like but we just kind of said okay we're, we're gonna lean into it and um and figure out so we're here together now collaborating to mm -hmm. help other people that are hurting and and suffering through this this podcast and so let's talk a little bit about the challenges of losing someone you love at a time in history that none of us have ever lived through before. Um, um, that has yeah, been very I, challenging. Yeah, I mean, on top of uh, COVID-19 and all of the uh, physical and emotional and financial things that that's creating, and now the social unrest that's going on, um, there's never a good time for loved ones to die. Uh, this is a particularly uh, not good time. Um, I do want to pick up before I go to the COVID thing on, on one thing you mentioned, though, and, and that's sort of the um, the core of what we're trying to do, Jason and I, with TG Beyond, is when someone dies, you, you don't know what to do. And I think um, a lot of us think, well, we'll, you, we'll do a funeral, we'll do a memorial, and that is absolutely part of the equation. But depending on the circumstances of death, and it sounds like in your case, and I know in my case, there was a lingering chronic medical situation leading up to a death. Mm -hmm. um, you may need help negotiating the space before with mm -hmm. any number of things, uh, which might be legal in nature, financial planning, uh, death midwives. Um, and then afterward, uh, you know, you're working uh, in the area of grief and there's grief and there's financial administrative things. Um, in the case of my mom, which I'll talk more about, there's a house with furniture that's been accumulated over 75 years, it needs to be cleaned up. So I don't think people realize, and I know I didn't realize, and I'm realizing again now, all the things that you have to do and negotiate with somebody dies. And uh, as we say, dying is hard on the living. Um, it, dying, is, dying is obviously hard on the dying, and it's really hard on the people left behind who have to deal with the stuff. So bringing us to COVID, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I've been, uh, you know, uh, isolating in place uh, in Atlanta. Uh, I got a call from my sister a week ago Saturday that uh, our mom took a very uh, hard fall 
It looks like she passed out and may have actually had a small stroke that precipitated the fall. Hit her head very hardly and she seems to be okay and we are going to the hospital. And in a, literally between, and at that point I'm like, okay, I'm gonna start to pack because I may be driving down to Florida. I'm up in Atlanta, it's about a 500 mile drive. And literally in five hours she went from, she seems to be okay, to she is in a uh, coma with severe uh, brain damage, bleeding and blood clots on life support and a ventilator and her prognosis is not good. Um, so on the pure COVID side for, for myself and my, uh, my sister personally, now I'm getting in a car and driving and going to rest stops and on, on the road and driving from Georgia to Florida, which quite honestly are a couple of the leading states in opening up, <clears throat> which means, and having been here for a few days, um, there are a lot of people just doing the normal stuff, no masks, no social distancing. And then we get here and um, the first day, Saturday, we did not go to the hospital. But Sunday, and I have to say the medical, the doctors, and the facility, Morton Plant in Clearwater, was remarkable because they made accommodations for us to be with my mother when she died. But now on a personal protection basis, we're going into a hospital for five or six hours. Right. And we are interacting with people in, in a medical setting, which again, um, being with my mom when she died far outweighed any considerations about that. But, um, yeah, had my mom lived, she, she was 82 years old. She had been doing a very good job of uh, you know, socially isolating at home. Mm -hmm. And had she, uh, again, lived and been in some kind of rehabilitation or been in a medical setting for some months, all of a sudden she's potentially exposed. So I think there's the reality of what that could mean in terms of really being infected. And then there's a psychology of you know, all the things that we're thinking. Am I being exposed? Um, I've had... Uh, two uh, friends who have been uh, in ICU for three weeks each on vents for 17 to 21 days are now going through rehab, which is very hard. And I had a high school uh, friend acquaintance who died. So, I mean, I believe this thing is real. Right. Um, and um, so there's a lot of uh, real biological things you're thinking about, but there's an awful lot of psychology and thinking about, am I being exposed? Am I exposing others? Et cetera, et cetera. But um, for all the people who I've read about and heard about who have not been able to be present in these situations, my heart goes out to you. And my sincere thanks goes to the hospital where she was that in this case, a family member dying, they make special accommodations so that we could be with my mom when she passed at her bedside on the unit. That is, that's a blessing in of itself. So yeah. you, you she, and, and, and you were saying that um, you had the time to say the things that you needed to say and that you were in the conversation prior to, to our conversation that, you know, you were able to use technology to um, let other people say the things that they needed to say too. Yeah, the, I have to say on a personal basis, and I would say for my family, um, the virtual experience is working in so much as our family is geographically separated. Um, my mom died on such short notice that it would not have probably been possible for the grandkids and, and 
her brother and my brother to fly in on such short notice. You're talking about 18 hours from, from the West Coast. Um, and I think the widespread use of technology is making it sort of more acceptable. It's giving us permission to do this. So when we were all saying goodbye, we had you know cell phones and iPads and we were doing FaceTime and we were doing telephone calls. And my mom was deep in a coma and she was unconscious, but we were allowing everybody and holding the phone up to her ear, you know, not on speaker, and everybody could say their private goodbyes. Um, I had a strange experience, and I've often, not often, I've occasionally discounted this. Um, I knew my mother's medical condition. I knew she was severely brain damaged. Um, there was no consciousness at all that I could perceive when we were with her. But when I was holding the phone up to her ear, and I was, you know, a foot away from her, I, I really perceived that on some level she was connecting to uh, what her loved ones and her family were saying to her. And um, that, was, that was important. And, and the technology worked. And again, it wasn't, it was the only way to do it. And it didn't feel off or wrong because A, it's the only way to do it. And B is people are doing it. Um, mm. make, now, now that we're planning a memorial though, make no mistake, helping older folks navigate the technology is a real challenge and takes a lot of patience and is can sometimes be pretty comical and uh so we're living that right now as we plan the memorial and trying to help uh, older folks through using technology right you know we're, we're not thinking about that um but that that is that is something so let's talk about um grief and um and what you're doing, you're planning a memorial service, but you have to plan a memorial service that really cannot be held in any other way than virtually, correct? Correct, right. I mean, there's um, you know, several different ways one can do it virtually. Um, we originally were gonna do this last Sunday, and uh, I was um, telling Sherry before, um, I have to be careful about not overdoing it. You know, the notion of grief, I can, uh, even though I know about it, I've read about it, I've studied it, I've experienced it. I have to be careful not to be oblivious and not to forget it. So originally we were planning a, a virtual memorial uh, for last week and it became overwhelming just to get all the videos together, gather the photos, scan the photos, uh, manage the technology. So we pushed it back a week. But, um, but yeah, we're doing a, a virtual uh, service. Um, this is odd, but, but I'll share it. So I've been working with Jason and with TG Beyond over recent work, weeks and a, a production company on building a capacity to help people with memorial services and funerals on, on Zoom and on other platforms. So now my mom dies and A, we want to do uh, a, a virtual memorial. It's the only way to do it. We want to celebrate her life. And there are many friends and family who want to celebrate her life. So I'm the grieving son, and I'm also the executive producer because we're using, this is our first virtual memorial. And I'm trying to find the appropriate balance and just be really open and transparent with my family and make sure I'm not pushing things in an inappropriate way because A, we're honoring my mom with a memorial, and B is um, this is a prototype or a beta test, if you will, for what we're looking to offer other people and we're learning a lot. I, I went to Jonas Hawk, uh, Jonas Salk, High school. Jonas Salk was the inventor of the uh, polio, polio vaccine, vaccine. Mm -hmm. and I distinctly remember 
a picture that was in the hallway of him inoculating his children. So after it had been through whatever testing, uh, he inoculated himself and his family and his children. In some ways, I feel like uh, I'm doing that. Now, that being said, my mom, we had, uh, my family was very um, death positive almost before it was death positive. We used to talk about DNRs, do not resuscitate orders at the dinner table when I was a kid. Um, we talked about end of life issues. Um, my mom in the last couple of years was cleaning up a little bit. We did some estate planning. Um, so she was oriented that way. She was a big fan of, of what I'm working on. And we would talk uh, every week regularly. And she was very interested in this whole end of life initiative. So I'm going to say, and I'm going to stand by it, that um, she would appreciate uh, what we're doing for her. Um, what I've been doing the last year and a half in terms of studying and meeting folks like you and attending conferences and getting a certificate in thanatology has been preparation for this moment. And at the same time, my mom is going to inform what we do in the future because it's, uh, we're learning an awful lot going through this. That what, what came to me through listening to this, Barry, is, and I don't know your mother, but it, it just seems to me um, that she's saying, oh, you're not doing this without me. I am going to be the first one. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be the, you know, I'm going to be the one leading the way here. <laughs> it could be, you know, it's funny. My, my mom was a rock cat and a dancer and she was a, she was not, it's interesting. She was completely confident in her dancing uh -huh. and um, she was not naturally a, you know, she was not an egotistical person. She absolutely did not need the limelight. She didn't hog the limelight. But when she was dancing, it was pure confidence, and she was out in front. So maybe in that same way. Um, yeah. She was a little bit out in front on this memorial. Um, I have no idea what it's going to look and feel like. We're getting uh, photos from everywhere and uh, tapes from everywhere. Um, in the uh, arena of self-care, uh, instead of scanning and cropping myself 150 photos today, uh, after this call, I'm going someplace, I'm going to have those photos scanned in just because that's five hours that um, I'm not able to focus and concentrate. Right. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go back to that because you were saying that even though I'm trained in this and I don't want to, I don't, you, you, you said, I don't want to forget my grief. I don't think, um, I think that, that you can, your body will not let you forget your grief. It will show up in some other way if you're not mentally taking care of it. Your body will pick it up. I, I know that um, a lot of people get sick after uh, a loss of someone. In, in grief, uh, it just shows up. And to me, it showed up in my back a year later. A disc exploded in my sleep on Mother's Day. Um, so, uh, it just shows up uh, if you don't deal with it. And so I think that you were smart to know, I've got to go back. This is, this is grief. I am pushing myself. I also went back to work. I had all this maternity leave and no baby to take care of. So I went back to work because that's what I thought I should be doing. That's what was comfortable. That's what, you know, I, I thought if I get into this routine, I'll be good. But grief doesn't allow that to just be good. It catches up with you somewhere. So at least with your grief training, you do know that. 
you do know that one thing that I need to deal with this, be gentle with myself and remember that I have to practice self-care through all of this in order to get through this in a healthy manner. Yeah, I absolutely know that now uh, down the road, you know, 23 years ago with our son. And I went through a, you know, a bereavement period with someone uh, from, from the hospice that was very helpful. But um, I lost my voice for a period of time. I had vocal voice problems where literally um, I physically could not speak. Uh, that was a pretty interesting, uh, frustrating experience wow. for everybody. Um, so yeah, what I learned uh, with Harper going way back when, and I, w I went back to work fairly shortly thereafter, and it was, um, it was just bizarre and strange in this in nine, or, nine months or a year I really can't account for. But um, I learned about there are physical uh, manifestations if you don't take care of yourself. And I also learned that everybody uh, grieves very differently. My wife and I had uh, very, very different experiences around uh, the life of our son, the death of our son, and what has happened subsequently. Um, we're together still, which is great, because that doesn't always happen. Right. But um, our reaction uh, to grief was radically different. Um, now, 23 years later, <clears throat> I have a lot more tools at my disposal, and I have um, uh, a lot less reluctant to ask for help uh, when I need help, and I'm more tuned into what, how grief manifests itself in me, and it manifests differently everywhere. Um, the last few days, I found myself getting irritable and uh, frustrated at night, and I have not been able to um, accomplish you know, the, the things I'm normally able to accomplish. I'm not able to focus for as long as I'm usually able to focus. And um, sometimes, uh, maybe in the past, I would have tried to power through that. And right now, I'm not. Um, you know, I, because of COVID-19 and because of my particular work situation, mm -hmm. I'm able right now with my sister and my family to take the time. Um, again, I feel for people who have to deal with these things while absolutely working full time, um, absolutely having to maybe take mass transit or put themselves in uh, compromised situations from a medical point of view and deal with all the challenges of death on the side. And, uh, you know, in, in a world of, uh, of inequities, I mean, there's a lot of inequality around that as well. So someone who's maybe had to deal with a COVID death, who couldn't be with their loved one, who lived in New York, who couldn't be at a funeral, who couldn't take off work, and that's a very, very different situation. Who still doesn't even have the body back, right? Perhaps, yeah. You know, I, I've seen that they, they just can't even, they can't even process all the bodies right now. It's, it's so bad. So it's so different in, in, in other ways. So you had mentioned, Barry, that you have some tools in your toolbox now, and so you feel that you're better able to handle this. What kind of tools are those? Do you, can, you, can you name them? Or yeah, I mean, I'll, 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 yeah, I mean I'll, I'll, I'll name them um, um, at, the, at the risk of being very uh, self-confessional. Confessional. Um, one is I have a, a spiritual uh, teacher I've been studying with for years who is available. Um, we've had a financial planner. We had uh, one of the things that happened uh, after our son um, uh, died was our family fell into some challenges and um, we hit some financial difficulties that took a while to get out of. Mm -hmm. And so we've been on the straight and narrow for a while. I've been working with a, a financial advisor who also, um, it's, it's not about picking stocks and bonds. I mean, it's really someone who I can rely on to, with, for a lot of decisions that 
impact anything around, um, you know, finance expenses, um, decisions related to that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I have somebody who I pay occasionally to sit on a chair. I, I rarely lie down. I sit on a chair, and uh, that is helpful as well. And I've got another program that I'm involved with that involves sponsorship and um, the ability to uh, work through uh, with groups of various issues. And so I, I, uh, I have a little team of people who I can rely on, and that team has um, been created and evolved over about a 25-year period. That's wonderful. So you, you have set up uh, for yourself uh, places where you can go for help. Um, so many people feel isolated when they're going through this. And I think that's, that's compounded because of COVID as well. So what kind of advice might you have knowing that you have these tools in your toolbox where others might not? How do you suggest that maybe they seek out the help that they might need right now? You know, that's a real challenging one. Um, one of the things I've seen um, both uh, in, my, in my extended family dynamic and just seen from being around is um, some people, you know, there's a continuum. There's always a continuum, right? So some people will tell anybody about anything and go on and on and on and on. And on the other end of the continuum are people who just keep it all to themselves and try and muscle through it or do it as individuals. Um, one of the things I've seen is, and, and I don't know the answer to this, and, and maybe there are some trained professionals who do, is I don't know how you get people who are really disinclined to share and to ask for help to ask for help. Um, and again, I have uh, various family members who maybe fall into that category and certainly some friends. Um, I might have been like that earlier on. I think I've probably evolved to a place where I am more comfortable uh, asking for help, um, even engaging in a conversation like this, um, which, which is its own way of, I won't call it grief therapy, but call it grief relief. Right. Talking to people, for me, who have been through similar situations, who understand, you know, when you've had a kid who has died, uh, you're in a club that you never wanted to belong to. Um, and you know, when you talk to someone whose child has died and you, you start the conversation, there's, there's, a, there's a kinship that can develop based on shared understanding and shared experience that I find to be very, very powerful. Um, other people may not want to talk about their child who died or may not be able to talk about their child who died because it's too painful. So, I mean, to the extent I know anything, um, I, I believe and recognize that grief is very individual and unique. Um, the way we all deal with problems is individual and unique. I personally have found, again, a way of um, integrating my loss into my life in a way that feels right. You know, my mom sits in my heart. Harper sits in my heart. I probably think about Harper every day, but I don't dwell on Harper every day. He's just, he's there. Um, and what I'm really not realizing now with my mom, who's been dead for only you know, 10 days or something like that, is patience is also, you can't, as, as in the same way we're going through COVID right now, and we're dealing with social unrest, I have to go through grief. I don't have to work through it. I don't have to end it. I just have to go through and spend the time. There's, there's nothing but. And um, recognize that some days I may feel bad. And what I have to remember is, oh, yes, 
I feel bad, and my mom died, or and my dad died. Because I will forget, I mean, I, it'll be February 10th, our son died on February 12th. Um, it'll be February 10th, and all of a sudden I'll realize, hey, I'm not feeling great. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's oh, yeah. death anniversary on February 12th. Yes. Um, so I have to remind myself. Uh, but once I remind myself, then I'm pretty good about going through it and work, working with it. Right. I hate, to say, I hate to say working through it, but working with it. Yes. Um, there's not over or under, there's only through um, or with. Um, someone said something to me I thought was very um, wonderful, and I'm just going to share it with you because we're, we, we travel similar paths, and that is perhaps we are co-creating with our beloved, you know, and um, maybe Brandon is co-creating this path with me. This is my, my time spent with him now, you know? So I don't know, that, that kind of brings me some comfort in knowing that, you know, the pain that we went through is, is helping other people through their pain. And, right. and, and there's no way on this earth that we're having this conversation if your son and my son, if they're not born and die. Right. We, we'd never be having this conversation. Right. So there's meaning in each, and, and you know what else I, I learned too, Barry, is that um, <clears throat> each life, no matter how long, can make an impact. Right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, um, yeah, and we, a, we never know that, we, we may never know that impact. Um, I can't go back and recreate a world in which uh, Harper wasn't born, but clearly it had impacts on family, it had, it had impacts in um, innumerable, unknowable ways. Absolutely. Right. I mean, even though he never spoke, even though he never walked. Right. Exactly. And mm -hmm. my son, I never heard him cry. I never heard him, you know, I, I, all of his senses were, um, were, were dulled so that it wouldn't cause a lot of um, uh, pain in his body. So, um, yeah. So for a child that never did anything or amounted to anything see that's that's the you can make an impact just by your being mm -hmm. that's powerful it's huge powerful. and one of, one of the challenges around this i think is with interacting with other people and you may have experienced this and i think this is true with us stillbirths and miscarriages as well which are in, incredibly meaningful and powerful uh, for the families who go through them and the women right. who go through them um some people I tend to think in terms of continuums, right? So for some people, it becomes everything and the only thing. For some people, it becomes nothing. And when you interact with other people, some people get it and some people don't. So some people maybe fully understand what you went through and other people perhaps say, oh, you'll have another and he'll, and he'll be better or he'll be, you know what I mean? And right. um, my, my dad, for instance, really, uh, and it created, it created a big challenge. He really didn't understand what we were going through. He had a real issue with um, handicapped people. And his initial reaction was find an institution, mm. put him in the institution and walk away and start again. Now, a generation or two ago, that may have been what people did. Um, that was not at all helpful. <laughs> for uh, my wife and I. 
Right. That's not what we wanted to hear. Right. Um, and it took a and it took a long time to. Um, I, I don't know that we. I don't know that we ever had a common understanding, but later in life, I think he came to understand things differently than he did initially. We can so always he, yes, we can always elevate our thinking, and we can always open our heart wider. Mm-hmm. So, um, so let me ask you about the kind of support that you have been receiving then through this, because I think that's important too. Have you been supported? Have friends and family reached out? How have you been supported in the loss of your mother? This has been, a, I mean, this has been a, an amazing uh, 10 days. I mean, we are, our family, uh, I don't come from a close family, either geographically or um, uh, one of my father's other uh, charms was he didn't like family. So we never met a lot of our family. So it's only in mm-hmm. later in life that we have encountered a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But um, what I'm realizing, and, and this may have applied to a lot of people, you think you, think you know people. You think you know your, your wife, your husband, your brother, your sister, your mother, your father. I am finding out that my mom had a, uh, not a secret life in a, in a bad way, but, a, but an interior life and a life and relationships that I know virtually nothing about and I'm coming into contact with now. So my, I mean, our friends, my sister's friends, my uh, brother's friends, my friends have been tremendous. Um, our, we're reaching out to family and relatives. My mom had a dance group. She had a Tai Chi group. She had another, we're, we're contacting with them. Um, people have been tremendous and it's been really helpful uh, and cathartic from a grief point of view, just to be interacting with folks, even this conversation. Uh, is is a, is a good thing for me to be doing, uh, grief-wise, uh, right now. And I think also, and I don't know if you've been feeling this, um, I'm feeling like people, at least in my world, because of COVID and because of social isolation, are going extra miles right now to connect and to reach out. And that's not a bad thing right now. That's a good thing right now. Right, right. That's wonderful. And, you know, one of the things that I, I like to tell people um, that I, and one of the things I wrote in my book, how can I help is that share stories. Like you're, you're, you say you're discovering this whole new world, this whole new side of your mother that you didn't know. And if people are sharing those stories with you, those are like little gifts they're giving you little insights that is that's so valuable that you can carry with you forever. Absolutely. I mean, and, um, this is also my brother and sister and I are on the phone. Um, I'm physically with my sister in her house in, in Florida, but my brother and sister and I are on the phone hours a day and um, we're connecting in lots of ways. I will say also, and this helps, we are emotionally and um, uh, administratively aligned in what's going on. And you know, there's a lot of family situations in which that doesn't happen, where there might be really big differences in end-of-life care, you know, let's remove life support, let's do everything possible to keep her alive, where there could be uh, dissent about possessions and estate and things like that. Um, No, the virtue is we have a lot of time right now. We were not pressured to do an immediate funeral. Uh, We're aligned, and that helps a lot. Um, It minimizes the stress, which is already high enough. So what I'm hearing is that 
you know, this isn't the best of circumstances, but then again, there are blessings in the circumstances that are allowing you to give yourself grace and time needed. That is kind of like a beautiful gift in, in the, in the process of your grieving and in the process of all of this, it's, it's not rushed. It's not, you know, it's not ideal as far as the physical human connection of hugs and, and support in that way, but it's allowing you to, to take the time necessary to go through the process, which maybe as our culture, we don't allow ourselves that time. We, we, we set a time limit on that. And, and that's because we're scattered all over the place we're trying to gather. So I think we can learn some lessons from all of this. Right. I mean, I think uh, not only do we place time limits on, but some people's natural orientation is I'm going to take two days and be sad and I'm going to get back to it. And I'm going to, you know, distract myself. And, it, and if that works, that's great. That's not what works for, for me. Um, I, I remember being at someone's, um, uh, someone's uh, wake and, uh, uh, the person said to somebody, um, if I see you cry, I'm going to ask you to leave. And, um, you know, and that was their orientation. Um, yeah, I, I, don't mind, uh, I don't mind a good cry every now and again. I, uh, not often public, but occasionally it might be. Right. It might be at Sunday on the, at the memorial, you know. Well, and if you have a friend that is in the process of that, don't feel that you've caused it. And it might feel uncomfortable, but just get comfortable with being uncomfortable and let, allow that to happen. That's a huge point, I think, also. The ability to not want to try and manage somebody else's grief for your own reasons, either because I don't think you should feel that way or you don't have a right to feel that way or I'm not comfortable with you experiencing emotions in my presence. And I think that's an important thing also for someone to not have their grief managed. Well, Barry, thank you very much for spending time with us today. And again, my deepest condolences to your mother uh, for the loss of your mother. Um, I think what you say, what you shared with us is um, something that can help a lot of us navigate through this should we find ourselves having to face this during this pandemic. Well, thanks, Sherry, for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm Sherry Dunleavy, and you've been listening to the Grief Anonymous podcast. For more information on today's guest, the Grief Anonymous program, or the Grief Resource Network, go to griefanonymous.com or griefresourcenetwork.com. For more information on my book, workshops, or talks, go to sherrydunleavy.com. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks for listening.